Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. We had a short hiatus, but we're back now. Back like the country wearing masks. I did an episode in the past about how to wear your mask to properly decrease your risk of infection. This included nodding and tucking your mask or, if you remember from the past episode, wearing a double mask. Go back and listen to that episode that I did in about early February of this year so you can hear me talking about it again if you forgot what I said about how to not untuck your mask or wear a double mask to decrease your risk of becoming infected with COVID-19. Also, you can go to my YouTube page and see a video of me showing how to wear your mask in these two ways that I just mentioned. Hit the link in the show description for my YouTube page so you can check out the video. Shout out to the one person that's giving me a thumbs down on the video. I really, I really appreciate your feedback. But anyways, we're back from hiatus. I am doing this episode while on vacation. Weird, I'm doing work on vacation, but I do it for you, the people. But it's been a while since I've discussed COVID-19 and the HPI, which stands for Healthy People Information for you first time listeners. But I'm going to discuss COVID-19 again. This week, I'm going to focus on kids and hospitalizations. According to a recent article in Reuters, this past Saturday, August 14th, the United States had a record high of 1,900 children hospitalized for COVID-19. Yes, 1,900 kids this past Saturday were hospitalized for COVID-19. This may seem low if you think about how many kids there are in the United States. However, if you're a parent, I know you wouldn't want your child to be in that number. I know you wouldn't want your child to be one of those 1900. So let's dive a little bit deeper into kids and hospitalizations in this HPI. I recently read an article in the Family Practice News, which is an independent newspaper that has been around for 50 years. And as always, I put the source of my information in the show description so you can look these things up later. So just look for the citation in the show description so you can look up the article that I'm talking about. In this article from May of 2021, it discussed hospitalizations in relationship to children by summarizing a study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, also known as JAMA, in April 2021. So the study came out in April of 2021 in the JAMA and this article in the Family Practice News came out in May of 2021. So just a month later, just discussing what was talked about in that article in JAMA. So according to this article in the Family Practice News, from March of 2020 to October of 2020, approximately 12% of children with COVID-19 were hospitalized. Yes. 12% of children from March of 2020 to October of 2020 were hospitalized. Of those 12%, almost one third of them required ICU admission or mechanical ventilation. Mechanical ventilation is being on a machine that essentially breathes for you. I don't know about you all, but I like to breathe on my own. If a machine has to do your breathing for you, that's really serious. You're definitely going to be in the ICU if you're on a ventilator. A little over half of the children who were diagnosed with COVID-19 in that time frame were girls, and the age group that was most affected were between the ages of 12 to 18. 
the racial makeup of children diagnosed with COVID was comparable to the adult population. Approximately 39% were Hispanic or Latinos and 24% were Black. There was no notable correlation between race and severe infection. So once again, in this article, it stated there was no notable correlation between race and severe infection. What I just mentioned earlier about the race and the percentages, we're talking about being infected, but I'm not talking about severe infection. So I just want to differentiate between what I just said. At the end of the episode, I'll provide information on what can increase the likelihood of severe COVID infection. So stay tuned for that information at the end of this episode. But let's get into this week's interview guest. This week's interview guest is Kaylin Hunt. Kaylin is an award-winning filmmaker and actor born and raised in Port Arthur, Texas, which is also my hometown. I've known this guy for a minute, so this is one of my friends. His work has been featured in national media outlets and publications, including IndieWire and Variety Magazine, which deemed him one to watch in their Hollywood New Leaders issue. Kalen was educated at the University of Southern California's prestigious film school. He currently serves as vice president of Juvie Productions. Juvie Productions is a production company owned and operated by actress Viola Davis and her husband, Julius Tennant. The production company develops and produces independent films, television shows, and other forms of entertainment. Films and shows created by Juvie Productions have included Troop Zero, which is available on Amazon, Lila and Eve, starring Viola Davis and Jennifer Lopez, and the TV series American Coco. We'll talk about American Coco on the interview. Kalen serves as the Vice President of Productions where he helps manage the overall content slate and day-to-day operations. In this interview, we'll talk about how he got his start in the film industry, where he sees the film industry going, and what things Juvie Productions has coming up. So let's get into the interview with Kalen Hunt, Vice President of Juvie Productions. So what's up, everybody? This is another great episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. I have one of my good childhood friends, Kaylin Marie Hunt, who is, oh, my bad. That's, that's not his middle name. His middle name is not Marie. But Kaylin Hunt, uh, pretty much known this guy since what, middle school. Middle school. Yeah, I think it's yeah. middle school. Yeah, all, all the way back to middle school. So this is a good childhood friend right here. So he's in the film industry. He's the vice president of Juvie Productions, which is the movie company owned by Viola Davis and her husband, Julius Tennant. And so we bring him in here today to On Call with Dr. Randy. Going to be discussing the film industry, his background, how he ended up to where he is now and where he thinks the film industry is going. So welcome, Kaylin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to be here. All right. We can tell you're excited. <laughs> so give us a little bit about your background as far as what made you go into the film industry. I know that you originally went to USC pursuing another degree. I think it was in mathematics. And then you mm-hmm. decided to make the big switch to being in basically theatrics. So that's that's a big switch from going to math, working with numbers to being a great thespian, what, what made you want to do that? Oh, man. Well, I know middle school, high school, I was more of the 
the quiet guy in the corner. I think I've always been drawn to, you know, film, TV, video games. It's like growing up as an escape. And I just figured, you know, I wanted to try, try my, my, try my path there uh, after I graduated high school. And when I got into USC, I figured it was a chance to sort of, you know, dabble in it and then learn more about it and go for it. And then, you know, from dabbling to Mm -hmm. falling in love with it and, you know, as a, as a way to tell stories and to express yourself in a creative way and, you know, even, you know, personal exploration and like growth. I think studying as an actor really helped me as a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, studying the arts, helping the craft stories and producing and all that and finding community there. All that ties into, you know, why I love entertainment and why I am still doing it. Right, right. So, so you said originally that you kind of dabbled in it before diving all the way into to the pool per se. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what was dabbling for you? How did you dabble when you first got there? Well, I started, like you said, as, as a different major. Mm-hmm. And I was like, take a few classes and like, and then like, see how that goes. And then, you know, realizing that, because in my head, it was always like, oh, if that's this other thing. I can't really do that. You know, it's best for other people who are, mm-hmm. who are it and know what they're doing but then the more i got into it and you know even like some because I, I did ultimately transfer to usc's film program and i was taking like acting classes like in the industry what i realized was that <laughs> everyone is figuring it figuring it out like there's not mm-hmm. that you're born with that says that you can do this or that like you know, that you can be an actor or a director or a writer it's like it's just about having a passion and vision for things and, and, and working towards that uh, and developing yourself and like anyone can do that. And so that's when I felt more confident in what I felt like I had to offer as an actor or a writer. Right. So one thing that I like to do is kind of always give people a little peek behind the curtain and expose them to different things that they may not know about. So what was it like going to film school at USC? If I was to ask you like what type of classes does an actor take like do y'all go on mm-hmm. field trips to go to the movies or go see plays like what is a typical day for somebody who's majoring in film like what is their schedule like i don't know if they make you take biology classes is it all acting classes do they force you to take a music class kind of give us a little insight into that well, I guess for USC's program, I was critical studies. There's like critical studies, production, and writing, and for the undergraduate part, they make everyone. So the, the the saying about critical studies versus production classes is like, oh, you're a critical studies major, <laughs> or if you're a production major, you can make movies. So you're a critical studies major, you can make good movies. But they they make everyone sort of go through the process, like each part like of making a movie or a short film, like doing the sound, doing the editing, directing, like just so that you know what each job is. So they kind of put you through the ringer in that sense as a form of education because all those parts, you know, film, uh, visual medium, is, it's like a collaborative medium. So you know how to get those things that you want as a creative 
uh, in terms of, you know, production design or certain sound element when you're putting like that together. Okay. Uh, they don't make you, for that program, they don't make you. That's for which program again? Critical studies. Okay. Okay. What about the other uh, program? Well, for, for all three of those, like for critical studies, production and writing, they make you take a production class that sort of encompasses all of that. You'll take more production classes uh, as a production major, but you'll take more like theory and analyzing movies and periods uh, classes, 60s, 70s era movies, stuff like that. And then writing, yeah, of course, you take you you write a lot more. You take more writing classes. Okay. How do they test you for that? It's you get an assignment and then you do the assignment and then like you based on feedback. So they might. So initially they make you when you're making a movie or learning how to make a movie. They make you do it with no dialogue. So like mm-hmm. that's sort of the requirement for that assignment. And so you put it together. So like they teach you, you know, scene, how to frame your scene and all these things. And so like they'll make, they'll give you an assignment based on that and like whether or not you did what you were taught. So, but it's kind of subjective, but it's like doing the work and filling, filling the assignment. Okay. the wrong way to do it but like even stuff like make sure your lens is clean you know before you shoot like they'll sort of look, judge stuff based on that so you went to usc's film school you graduated yay Kaylin graduated so yeah. what was it like after graduation because i mean you always hear about actors or people who are producers or directors trying to find work or Get money for whatever projects that they're trying to do. What kind of what was it like for you to transition after graduating? Oh, when I graduated in two thousand eight, we were just in the midst of a writer strike, so it was very dry. Perfect time to graduate. Yeah, nothing really. No one hiring. No one really doing much uh, until the strike was over. So in that period, it was uh, very tough. But I, you know, you know, I took it upon myself to just learned about different, like I learned how to make websites and do photography. And so like I made a living doing that mostly to help pay bills while still, you know, writing a short film, or whatever, but like just still making ends meet and still pursuing or creating while all that was happening. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. So like, do you see yourself more as someone who wants to be in front of the camera when you graduated? Like, did you want to be an actor or did you want to mostly focus on being behind the camera doing director, directing and producing movies or films or short plays? Uh, when I graduated, I was of the mindset that I wanted to do acting full time. Um, I think, you know, during the course of, you know, the one to three years after graduation, it's like realizing that, okay, I could, you know, I could put a lot of time into chasing roles, chasing things, trying to fit in here, trying to fit in, fit in there. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, oh, getting a part here, like here and there, and then realizing, like, oh, I don't really like this process. I don't like this movie, or I don't like this thing that I'm putting my time into, mm-hmm. or I got the role, but then the movie didn't happen, or I got the role and I filmed it, they cut the part out. So it's like all these things as an actor, it's like I don't have control over. And, you know, looking back at the amount of time I spent on it, I was like, after two years, I'm like, okay, what can I show and say, oh, this is what I've done. So I took a step back uh, after that. And that's when I started to lean more, lean back onto my film education and writing. It's like, okay, I don't want to be in a bad 
was poorly managed, poorly put together movie. I like I can make a bad movie. So <laughs> like the worst case scenario, I'll, I'll I can like start forging my own path, and in the worst case, it won't be any worse than the other stuff. But right, really, right. There are plenty of bad movies out there. You just got to get yeah. somebody to fund it, and then <laughs> that kind of solves the problem right there. Yeah, but again, there's that notion I had, like, oh, other people are good at this, I'm not. But then they realized, okay, wait, actually, we're all just as capable human beings. It's like how, you know, no one's, like, it's, you're better, you get better by doing things. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like taking some, some of my power back. Like, oh, let me, if I sat down for a year and wrote something and made something, I could at least say, oh, here's what I've been doing the past year. And like, if other things come my way during that time, then great. At least I so at least I could focus and invest time in building those bricks or what I would consider bricks in my in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, now like, I'm always no matter what's going on around me, I, I'm always mindset like I need one or two of my own projects that I'm working on that I can push the rock myself while everything else is happening. So it's like those creative outlets are the things that help help ground me and stay focused on the things I want and the things, you know, just again, those bricks that I'm building over, you know, X amount of time. So just to go back and touch on something that you talked about earlier. So you said after you graduate, kind of trying for roles and sometimes getting them and then the movie falls apart or they cut your scene out. So can you, I explain or give an example as far as what it's like going into get a role like the whole casting experience you go and try out sitting in a room with a whole bunch of people that look like you i are seeing the same person again like oh you trying for this like yeah me too hoping that you get it like what is a casting um, experience like it's different it depends on what the project is like there's this like commercials and there's movies and there's tv there's all the all kind of different processes so like if i go out for a commercial yeah you see so many people who kind of look like you and to me it's like it's kind of arbitrary who they go with mm-hmm. i think for stuff like film and tv when it's directed there's an actual you know character to build it's uh you know learning not to get not to get discouraged or compare yourself to the people who you're who you're in the room with and about your choices uh and knowing that like you can make a strong choice and like you're either right for it or you're not right for it. That doesn't say anything about like your ability. Mm-hmm. So Can sometimes, it takes time to learn that, to sort of understand that. Okay. Can sometimes being in the room with other people who kind of similar for you, similar as you, make you feel insecure? Like looking at certain individuals like, oh, he has more muscles than me. I, I might not get that role. Or maybe that person looks more handsome than me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think... Yeah, I guess there's, there's a uh, impulse sometimes to be insecure, but I think it's I I don't I I guess it's it's like this is either for me or isn't for me. I'm still gonna do my best, and so mm-hmm. matter what someone like you know even you know auditioning against oh that person is like a movie star or like I've seen that person in so many things. Of course, like, I get to, like not going on that that mind that, that train of thought because again, so many factors that like can go for you or against you and it's like you don't know them so you can't really focus you shouldn't really focus on them you should just sort of do the best job that just mm-hmm. do your job as an actor and present what you feel to be the strongest take on that character right what shaped you the most as an artist i think that starving artist 
period mm-hmm. <laughs> graduation was essential to my growth as a person and as an artist. And I like to think that I'm always continuing to grow, you know, in the acting thing and working with the right teachers like to help pull my own specific point of view out of me to help tell the story in an engaging and creative way to help me look at things differently mm-hmm. uh, has shaped a lot of how I uh, approach things and approach work. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think the starving artist period was, was like essential to me. Like, and cause I started working for, for Juvie and for Viola and Julius, like sort of in the midst of all that. And I feel like I definitely needed that period of like, figuring things out, learning who I was as a person. Like I needed that, that incubation period. So it's just sort of going from one thing to the other and just sort of falling into the position. Like I feel like, you know, learning to see my own humanity and learning to see the humanity and everything else around me helped shape how I approach things that I am interested in and in, in pursuing. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't went through that starving phase, you feel like you'd be a different person than what you are now? Uh, I feel like I, it's, uh, I feel like, yes, because the entertainment industry is sort of like until you're in it until you're like meeting people and finding your own tribe and like failing and like, you know, going through several disappointments, uh, or just even like learning, like, oh, in my head, it was just, you go to a cattle call and then this happens and this happens, but then you realize, oh wait, nothing's really, it's like nothing there's no there's not that kind of structure so a lot of times people come to la they think something's going to happen and when that doesn't happen the way they thought it would they leave and it's like really about that uh it's just it's about <laughs> focusing on your work and it's about staying in line a lot of times because you never know when where an opportunity comes from and just because you want this thing over here sometimes there's a path to that that you, that you can't really see and you had to sort of stick with it. And I think it takes that incubation period to like learn that and to even trust yourself enough as an artist, you know, because you got to do it because you love it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you do can't you love it until you like, you know, feel confident in your own abilities? Tell me who is in, who was or who is in your community? Because I know you've done a lot of short films on your own. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you've had people in your community help you out with those short films and, oh, I need you mm-hmm. to come record this or can you edit this for me for free or do it for cheap or something like mm-hmm. that. Who is mm-hmm. Kaylin's community? Well, I, it's like uh, there's several circles that I kind of have leaned on throughout the years through my film schooling. It's like that work of people who are, you know, we're still in touch and it's like, oh, I need this on my project or can you help me with this? Like it's sort of like a, as Part of what they teach you is, you know, showing up for people because you need, you also need help. Mm-hmm. My acting community, it's like. Feel free to say some names if you want. Names? Ah, uh, because I was like dropping names and stuff. And I just, I, I just, it doesn't matter who the name is. It matters that like. I mean, they might want some free publicity or something like that. <laughs> oh, Kaylin has said my name. Like, all right then. <laughs> Don't listen to my podcast. Shout out to them. Yeah, I mean, my, yeah, my, my tribe, those people who, who I, I love and adore and, and likewise, you know, obviously, like, Viola and Julius, I feel like, are the two people who have really seen me and encouraged me to, to grow and to be my own artist and to speak up and, and to sit at the table and to use my voice. You know, 
uh, my good friend Genshell, who I graduated with, I always lean on him for, for um, you know, support. You know, like Beth Grant is like, I'm a huge fan of her and her daughter, Mary, you know, like a lot of these names are just like, are just, are, you know, creatives who like, I know really love, but like, I don't know. You like, never know where this is going to go, Kayla. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, you can send it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who like, I like, there's like a lot of love and support with, but mm-hmm. it's uh You'll send this out to your acting. And name drop everybody. <laughs> so nobody get offended if he doesn't say your name, Kaylin. Yeah, like he didn't say my name. I can't believe it. You're so <laughs> ungrateful. <laughs> I'm never holding the camera for you again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking back on like Viola and Julius, like how did you end up linking with them? Uh, I met them through, I met them, uh, I think my senior year through my aunt and uncle, uh, Alex Morris and Vanessa Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Viola had just finished shooting Doubt or it hadn't come out yet. And, you know, Julius, he's so like engaging and outgoing. And like they, they you know, I, I was in a room with them and they were like, well, yeah, we're starting this company and, and we like you. And, and but we can't afford to hire anyone just yet. But we're gonna, uh, we want to work with you and we, we want, you know, so we'll, we'll get we'll be in touch with you whenever we're ready to hire someone. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then uh, three years, three years later, I was like, hey, sorry, it's been so long, you know, but we've been really like, we've still been thinking about you and we, you know, we've been still putting everything together because we want to do it right. You know, we're ready for you to start and you're still available. And uh, that's, it's been, that was, that was nine years ago and it's been, you know, so it started as their assistant and, now I'm VP of the company and, you know, it's been, I think it was a learning experience for, for all of us over those years. Cause you know, that was the first time having a production company and like navigating, you know, using, having Viola's career and like sort of navigating that momentum in the most, you know, in, in the best way and the most effective way. Yeah. But none of that, none of that has like changed them as people. And then it's, yeah, they, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, we, we linked up. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think like attracted them to you where they saw you three years before they really asked you to work for them i don't know honestly i never thought that i would work in this capacity per se i was not pursuing the to do this part of it um and if it wasn't them i probably would not uh like it's because they're great people and i really trust their taste and and just how they approach the work and what they're trying to do, you know, I think all that is that synergy. But in terms of when we met, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm all, I, I was still that quiet guy in the corner. And I don't know, maybe it was that. Maybe it was like, maybe this guy, this guy doesn't want anything from us. And that's impressive. I, I don't know. I'm just, but, you know, I tend to be more low-key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working in the corner, but still doing work. So, I mean, tell me more about that role as far as um, the production of that and what, what was that play or what was that film? Uh, that play, uh, it was called Camp Logan. Mm-hmm. Based on a true incident uh, that took place in Houston. It was uh, a black army regiment stationed there in uh, 1917. And the town didn't like the fact that there were armed black people in their area. So they were staging to raid the army camp and kill the soldiers there. So they, and the 
colonels took, well, they were also part of it. They took the guns from the guys, and then the guys got wind of it, and they fought back uh, about that incident, Paul Camp Logan. And, you know, it was all based on historical research, but my character was the youngest soldier from the North, and he had, you know, these lofty ideals of, like, change, and, like, all you got to do is, you know, you know, do, like, things can change, and, you know, you got to, we could fight the fight with them and show them that we're just as capable and uh, as, as they are. And but the older soldiers were, you know, more experienced and understanding. Like that's that's not really how it works. So I was my character was the only one that survived that incident. And like through that, he grew. Cool alert. <laughs> <laughs> Aylin survived. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a uh, yeah. It's a play. You can read it. Or maybe there's other productions happening around. Yeah. Okay. So you started working for Juvie about 10 years after you first met them. That's sarcasm right there. I mean, <laughs> okay. So when they approached you to work for them, did they already have some projects in mind that they wanted to get in the works? Or was your job to start going find out other pe- other writers to bring to them to get stuff into production? Yeah, they already had a clear idea of what, like a few things they were already uh, working on, and yeah, of course, I, I brought some ideas to the table. But yeah, they already had a clear idea of what they wanted to do. And then, of course, you know, we were constantly brought things from other writers and agents and producers as well. So it just you know it was sort of a organic process of you know what we would choose to spend time on then. Uh-huh. So what were some of the initial project, pro, uh, projects that y'all had? I remember, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Coco or was it? American Coco? Um, yeah, that was one of the, well, that one we did like four years ago, I think. Um, the Kill Patrick, amazing. Tell everybody a little bit about American Coco if, they, if, if they've never watched it before. I know I've watched it, but I'm going to let you give a rundown of it. Okay, American Coco is a comedic digital series. Uh, you can watch it on abc.com written by and starring E.R. Kilpatrick. It's a comedy, a satire. She's a detective at the Everybody's a Little Racist uh, Agency. And I think, you know, at its core, it really, it's really an engaging and funny, funny exploration of like just certain conversations that we have where people aren't really sure how to talk about in terms of race and mm-hmm. like how that, you know, impacts daily life from, but it's like told in a, in a linear narrative way yeah. um, I, 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 yeah, I, I really recommend people yeah Kaylin was in one episode I think you made like a quick little spot in one episode oh yeah I make a cameo yes yeah and I, one of the things I remember from one of the episodes was if I'm not mistaken it was like um, a black history play and the white teacher didn't want the black kid to sing because the black kid couldn't sing but the white they were doing a uh, musical uh, Harriet Tubman. <laughs> there we go. School play, and the thing is, the only black girl in the class could not sing, and so it was like, oh man, we have to cast Harriet Tubman as black, but this person, <laughs> we can't have her do it because she can't do it, and so they wanted to cast the Latina person, and so was, this is where the R.S. agency came in uh, to help them navigate that situation and like it's like how how do you engage in those kinds of conversations like she hires someone just because they're black or just because of this or that and like 
you sacrifice artistic integrity. Like it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, to me, relevant explorations of like things people think, but they don't, don't really say or know how to talk about. Right, right. I mean, that show would be perfect to come out right now in the mm-hmm. midst of kind of all this going on in the world. If yeah. there's any way that it could be thrown back into the forefront, that'd be good. I mean, I found that hilarious. Like, you you have a Black history play with Harriet Tubman, but the Black person can't sing, but we got the white girl, she can sing, like, and the white teacher, like, it, it was just too funny. It had me cracking up, so... Y'all make sure to go to abc.com. I think the show what, it was like one season that it was it was only on. Oh, uh, yeah, it was two seasons, technically. Okay. I think total 12 episodes. 12 okay, shows. okay. Yeah, so, yeah. It wasn't officially on TV, but it was like initially when they started doing the streaming stuff on different platforms. It, it was one of the first ones, if I'm not mistaken, to start coming out being online only, correct? Right. Yeah, I think. I mean, initially they produced it themselves, like, mm-hmm. like no money and then we we saw that and just became a huge huge fan but, but we we're all already also familiar and friendly with Yara and like her work and we sold it to abc and so they gave them a the chance to reshoot it with a budget but yeah that was when they were exploring like short form content on their digital platform which now everything is sort of becoming digital so it's mm-hmm. all right. it's coming together so what other projects have y'all done thus far besides the American Coco like, that people can go and look at and stream or might not know that this is a Juvie production? Most recently is Troop Zero on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lila and Eve was, is, you can watch on Netflix. That was, one of, that was our first feature film. Lila and what? Lila and Eve. Okay, what's that about? Lila and Jennifer Lopez. Okay. It's a psychological thriller, I think. Yeah, you, you that's seen. the one that had the twist at the end. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, twist. we won't spoil that, but yeah, I, I did see that one. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know y'all produced that one too. Okay. Yeah, uh, we have a, a number of like social justice uh, things that have aired on TV. The Last Offense, uh, which is about the criminal justice system. Two Sides is about like um, investigating. The shootings that were happening. We have Emmanuel, which is a documentary about the Charleston shooting. Okay. There's uh, we we're doing VR interactive stuff in February. We worked with Time Magazine to recreate the March in Washington in virtual reality. We exhibit in Chicago at the Dusable. I mean, basically, I mean, we 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 we're in. We're not just like I guess film and TV is part of it, but then also I think there's so many creative ways tell stories and ways that people are engaging with stories that are not sitting in the theater or watching Netflix, you know, this the smartphone, you know, hmm. um, Snapchat is doing some very creative things and how they tell stories. So I think in video games and interactive and virtual reality and like how you engage with the story is so different in virtual reality. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we are very much storytellers in that sense and it's like we try to be forward thinking in terms of how people be watching consuming media five ten years because i think even initially like when youtube first came out like people like oh that's just like a that's just a thing online and like that's not going to change anything but like it's kind of changed everything because everything is kind of streaming online now you know it's not in browser it's like its own app Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah 
So, so what are y'all doing with virtual reality? I haven't heard that before with the film industry and doing the March on Washington. Kind of expand up upon that a little bit. Uh, well, so the March on the Washington project, it's like we, you know, you go to you know, at the museum, you, it's a sort of a, a exhibit that sort of dives into the history of it. But also when you put the helmet on, it's like you're, you're arriving there on, on Constitution Avenue and, and you get to see the last five minutes of the speech. And, you know, just building, just building what it felt like to be there instead of just telling you about it or you reading about it on a piece of paper. You're kind of, you're there and there's people marching past you and they're chanting. And then you you get to stand in front of him on the podium as he's talking. And it's just like, just having a different experience with it. And it's like a form of like creating education and empathy. But like, it's not, it's definitely not the same as just sitting down and watching something like in, in a frame, like you would you do it. Because you're, you're engaging with it differently and, you're, and your body's it's just automatically, you feel like you're there. Mm-hmm. You just remember it. Like you read something, you're like, oh, how, what was that? What did I read? But like, if you, you put a helmet on and stand mm-hmm. on shoes, you kind of like, you feel it. Right, right. Um, and we also did a project called Operation Othello uh, with Facebook and Oculus, uh, which is a modern day adaptation of, of, of Othello. Um, and that was also on uh, VR. Uh, we shot like the first portion of it. And, you know, again, trying to find ways to, you know, bring stories to audiences in ways that they haven't experienced it before. Because like stage and theater, you, you sit down and you go to the theater and you watch a really good play. Sometimes you just forget you're watching a play and you're just watching life unfold. And so like mm-hmm. for that project, we kind of, that was kind of the intention because people don't have the, the uh, ability to go or, or experience like, Things like that, unless unless they live in a big city, you know that that does great stage work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just and then like leaning on leaning on the actual experience in the story instead of just sort of it being a gimmick about oh you can do this and that like look at the gimmick oh wait you can sit here you can experience the story you know how can that impact you? All right. So are some of these VR experiences something that people will be able to do at home? Like, I know there's a lot of home VR things that you can right. buy. Not yet. They aren't able to do these at home yet, uh, but I think we are always exploring ways to bring it to more people. Mm-hmm. Yes, because partially some of the devices aren't really there yet in terms of power, but um, we do want to find ways for more and more people. Okay. How do y'all find ways to stay ahead of the curve? Uh, we try to be very just proactive in the role that we play in terms of reducing, you know, I, it's just, and also it's not everything can, like, we're creative people, like, like we're a creative company, and a lot of times why projects get made of creativity, and so it's just like, not losing a sense of who we are, what we're trying to do. And also, like, if something comes along that is not traditional, but it's a powerful story, like, just being open-minded and being open to, to like, doing it for the craft and, and to be creative and to do something new and innovative. Uh, mm-hmm. Just sort of going along with... Because it takes, you know, I think corporations, the downside is they have so much... Like, well, they have so much money, but, like, the downside is, like, they're so kind of usually more behind the curve. It takes someone someone doing something new and original for them to catch up and play, but usually years behind. I, I, I think staying independent and staying creative 
and not losing a sense of who we are and what we're trying to do is a big part of that. And I'm also kind of like me and Josh Nelson, we're kind of like the two tech tech people, the two nerds. And so it's like, yeah, so that was me or him saying, hey, there's a new thing that's come that's like coming out. It's like a kind of branching narrative thing or this or that. It's like, we feel like that would be a cool space to explore and also helps us possibly get new creatives into the door. So it's like, you know, takes the right team to be mindful and aware and like of those opportunities. To, to so how important has it been having Viola Davis as the head of the company, like her and her husband? I know it's very important as her being one of the major actresses of our time that she's been killing roles left and right. Uh, yeah, she is the life force. You know, Julius runs the day to day and, and like those who like this, she has a very clear vision of what she wants. And I think it's like, yeah, she's the reason we can do a lot of things that we do. But there's always still, still a lot of work to be done and a lot of educating uh, people that we're working with in terms of what we want to do and then doing it in the right way and not just going for like, you know, we want to make bold creative choices. And, you know, it's not always just about like, oh, what's popular right now? Or, oh, this person, you know, we want them to translate. The role requires them to transform into a different person. But, okay, we're going to put this, you know, rapper in. It's like, <laughs> we don't want to sacrifice the integrity of the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do just to just to make something. You know, we want to really be mindful about what we're doing so that we can have an impact. And it's about the work. Uh, you know, it's, and hopefully that's what people are, that's what people are responding to when they see us out there. So, but all that ties into her leadership, you know, and how we operate, you know, like if I read something, like asking myself the same questions, like, okay, is this script really telling this story in the most impactful way? Or is it like more light? Is it too light? Are they kind of half halfway approaching the, the subject matter? So all that, you know, Sort of, you want like it's like, or even like, oh, would Violet do this role? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not there yet. So it's like, you know, it's yeah, it's it's super important in in how we approach things, and yeah, even just what we're able to do and the impact that we have. Because she has such a great voice. All right. So, is there one particular mission or genre that y'all are trying to stay in? I know y'all talked about you talked about a lot of social justice things that y'all have done thus far, but I mean you've had the American Coco, then the movie with Viola and um, Jennifer Lopez as well, which was more like an action type movie. Like, do you see I ever doing? I know you like sci-fi type stuff, action movies. Does is there no limit to what y'all want to do, or y'all want to stay in one kind of particular lane? You know, okay, we're we want to think outside the box, so. I think, for, if anything, it's character-driven. That, that's sort of the basis for everything. So it could be a character-driven story mm-hmm. that's comedy or that is an action movie. Uh, like Soul Plane. <laughs> like Soul Plane, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, comedy yeah. with character-driven in action. So, <laughs> so or Friday. There we go. Or Friday, uh, yeah. <laughs> Even stuff like Widows, you know, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, um, I saw Widows. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's I think it's just character driven. And have we seen this person? Have we seen this perspective before? I think we're open to genre. You know, we're very 
open, open-minded about that. Just is it, is it compelling? Because we know that we're also entertaining you. Um, yeah, I think character is the basis. This character is the backbone of the story, and so we try to lean into that in a way that will en- engage engage you. So you're not y'all are not limiting yourselves in the t- particular fields that y'all want to go into in film and TV. Absolutely not. No, no, we are we no open-minded. You know, of course, we we want to think outside the box. A lot of times, people bring us stuff. It's like, oh yeah, you guys want to do like you guys want to do like dramas <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or biopics, and it's like no or civil rights. It's like we have some things that have that, but we're actually. You know, we want, you know, where's our theory, theory of everything? Where's our, her, like, where, where, where are, you know, other things? Like, there, there are other parts of, you know, our experiences or the human experience that we want to shed light on and speak to. It can be very creative. It can be very quirky. It can be very sexy. It can be very terrifying, you know. So it's, we, we like to find ourselves sort of, you know, I mean, we're happy to, it's like, remind people. Y'all are more than just black power. Y'all do other yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So y'all make sure to look out for my movie, horror movie on Juvie Productions coming in 2032. <laughs> so we're going to- 2032, yeah. yeah we're going to claim. It might be a little later than that, but we're going to send Kayla my horror movie script in the future. So uh, have you noticed, is it harder or easier recently as with being a person of color and the whole organization being person- um, organized by people of color getting roles i mean producing movies recently this year or was it like a grind these last couple of years and more doors are opening now it's changing it's changing i think there's still a lot of work to be done um again it's yeah there's a it, there, there's a lot of work to still be done i, I think people think like oh yeah diversity will just put like a, a black person there or we'll hire a black person but then again it's like gotta hire the right person like not not the easiest person. Like you gotta like <laughs> actually scrutinize and like find those great artists. Closest. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay, we'll put someone. We'll just we'll like do diversity for a while. You know, it's like no, you gotta like also seasonal diversity. Scrutinize it just as much as you would scrutinize like you know white projects or a white. You know, so it's like it's having the same level of uh, you, know, you can't just go for the easy thing because it's not. This is not an easy thing that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it's getting better. I, but I think there's just, just work and education to do, you know, in terms of trusting the potential of like all the great work that can happen. And it's, it's, it's about letting more people sit at the table and more the voices to weigh in and not just trying to check, check a box, <laughs> mm-hmm. check the box. It's like you got to give it care and attention just like you would give anything else. Mm-hmm. Stick with it. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to like, Make a bold choice, a bold creative choice. Make a movie that people haven't seen before. You know, people will go see it. Mm-hmm. There's not always going to be precedent for it. So, right, right. So that kind of just made me think of um, I don't know the actress name who's supposed to be playing 007 pretty soon. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's the, and the next 007. It's a black main character. It's um, it's the same woman who played in. Well, <sighs> Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's supposed to be playing supposedly the next 007 movie. So I think that was them kind of going outside the box and picking that potentially as the next role um, for 007. 
do you feel like you still have to prove yourself as a Black artist, even though you've gone through the ringer and done some of the same things as maybe some of your white counterparts or other races, that you're always constantly having to prove yourself when you walk into the room or for roles or to talk to people about movies? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's sort of that subtle thing where you walk into a room and people assume that, oh, you don't know what you're doing or you're not my level. And like, but it's very subtle in just how people speak to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what, <laughs> it's just like, I'm not, I, I don't need to prove myself to anyone. I just need to sort of, I just need to deliver. And you can see the work that I'm doing. You can see the work that I've done. So I'm, I am learning, or I've learned, it's like not, just not a defensive stance to take. It's just like, hey, you see me or you don't see me. And this, this, Working together is, you know, either right or it's wrong. And like, it just seems like it's not the fit, you know, and like, but I, 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 you know, I've seen it <laughs> firsthand, even in terms of how, when we're sent people, recommended people, and it's like, or we'll recommend someone who might be, you know, Indian or black or whatever. And it's like, oh, they don't have enough credits. Mm-hmm. And then like, we get sent people out, someone about film school. And it's like, oh, this is their first film. And it's like, but they don't have any credits either you know it's like stuff like that but it's like no one's saying no one's overtly saying anything but just kind of like seeing how the there's a big discrepancy in terms of how people are seen and treated and just seen as just being human and like on an equal level as opposed to just being seen as oh you're other and yeah we're doing you a favor because yeah you're like you know it's kind of it's just a very subtle thing that you, that you pick up on and like learning how to manage it. Just like, just keep being you, just keep, you know, building your, building your, your own, build, like leaning into your own craft and, you know, fighting for the things that you want to fight for. Right. And, you know, you know, you could be collaborative and open and kind. Like you don't have to not being, you want to be defensive or, um, you know, confrontational. Mm-hmm. All right. So last thing we're going to wrap up. Um, so if you had to, Leave any words for any starving artists out there. What would you tell them? Keep doing your thing uh, and lean into your tribe. Uh, just, and it's like nowadays, you know, you can pick up a smartphone and shoot something. Uh, just keep finding ways to create and laying those bricks into place. Yeah. And just keep improving and honing on your craft and keep making stuff. Even though <laughs> even when you're starving, it's like, again, you can write something. That's when you might get the most creative when you're starving. Yeah, whenever you have restraints, you know, that's when you are the most creative. I've seen so many resources thrown and stuff and like end up like crap. I've seen people do a lot with very little because it's about the community and like what they're trying. They, you know, people understanding the vision. You, you know, let's you just need your team. Cool. You don't need, you know, <laughs> you don't need Oprah to. You don't have to write. You don't have to write a letter to Oprah. <laughs> Or Tyler Perry. <laughs> it's probably, you know, it wouldn't hurt, but you don't need to. <laughs> oh, write a letter to Tyler Perry or write a letter to Oprah. <laughs> or buy a billboard. <laughs> That's it for the interview with Kaylin Hunt, VP of Juvie Productions. 
Juvie Productions has been doing some great things and will continue to do great things. So y'all make sure y'all look out for some of the films and television shows that they are putting together. Also follow them on their social media links, which are located in the show description. I hope to have on Viola Davis in the future. Gotta speak that into existence. So hopefully I get that lined up. So let's wrap up this interview. What increases a likelihood of a child having severe COVID-19 infection? According to the article I discussed earlier, well, increased likelihood of infection is associated with children who have had at least one chronic condition. These chronic conditions can include asthma, cystic fibrosis, or diabetes. Increased likelihood of severe COVID infection is also associated with males and between the ages of 2 and 11. Kids in those categories once again have an increased risk of severe infection from COVID-19. I personally believe that all kids should wear a mask. I know that it may be hard for them to wear a mask all day. I realize that it's even hard for us adults. However, if you don't want your kid to potentially be a part of that 12% that I mentioned earlier that are hospitalized, please have them wear a mask. We are getting tired as healthcare workers and we need to reduce the numbers. Children in adult hospitals are being overwhelmed and we healthcare workers are getting burnt out. Like crispy, rotisserie, smoke detector beeping burnt out. Please wear a mask so we can get taken out of the oven. It's hot in here and I'm burning up. I even got my sunscreen on and I'm getting burnt up. Shout out to the episode where I talked about sunscreen. Go back and listen to it if you don't know what type of sunscreen to wear. But anyways, please wear a mask. If you like this episode, please give me five stars on Apple or whatever you're listening to. Share with others. Check out my comedic medical thriller called Appendicitis. You can find it on Amazon or on my website, HeinzEntertainment.com, where I have some merchandise product there as well. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally.